short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back, Cold War podcast, or is it the Cold War podcast, Ray? Because we got a review uh, written by yeah. Beg Poo, who um, writes the history of the Alter Conference. This podcast about the history of the Alter Conference is amazing. Following up on their revelatory <laughs> podcast, The Life of Philip of Macedon, and their smash hit, The Life of Virgil's Aeneid. The amazing podcast duo of Ray and Cam tackle the pivotal points of the Yalta Conference. My only moan is that I wish they would do a pod about the whole of the Cold War. That would be amazing. Well, Bravo. fuck well you, Big Poo. Uh, I think Big Poo is, if I remember correctly, our mate Thomas Monquette, Tommy Mocky. Ah, Tommy, gotcha. Tommy the Mock. Tommy the Mock, British expat living in... Carolina, North Carolina, South Carolina, one of the, some state beginning with the C. Charleston, no. You know, better than me. I don't know, they all blend into it. I think it's Tommy Mock. He might not be. If if, if it's not, I apologise for offending both Tommy the Mock and Beg Poo, whoever you may be, but I think that is. Uh, It sounds like his kind of cheeky, cheeky uh, writing there. Either Martin Darlington or um, Tommy the Mock would write some shit like that. Well, Beg Poo... I got some good news and I got some bad news. <laughs> the good news yes. is we will soon not be talking about Yalta. The bad news is just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Just when I thought I was out of Yalta. I said to Ray, look, we're out of Yalta. That's it, man. I don't care if there's anything else in Yalta. We're not going to do it. We're not. We're done. I'm just going to... We'll just, yeah. I'll just skip through the rest of the Yalta conference. It's only one more day. How important can it be? <laughs> and then I read it and I went, uh, uh, we can't... Oh, shit. We can't really skip that. Uh, I had to take my book out of the trash can. Oh, yeah. This happened. Did that happen? Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. One more day of Yalta, kids. That's all. Come on. Hang in there. Gird your loins. Suck it up. I promise you Gird and suck Before today is out And by today I mean Ray and I Sitting down and talking about this For three hours We will in fact be out of Yolta I know it's in my notes I mean it says We're out We're gone We're done But Done We're not quite there yet Now I promise you When we get to Potsdam In a couple of months Oh Right We're gonna We're gonna go through Potsdam Like Indian curry Through a Baby That's how fast We're gonna go through Potsdam but uh, <laughs> it's disgusting. Analogy. You don't even recognize Visual. any uh, buildings or anything on the side. Just zoom, yeah, right by it. Yeah, 
Uh, except for the bit about Truman and the bomb and all that. We'll probably, we'll probably have to take some time talking about that, but that's uh, a long I way bet. away. We're going to do the whole Manhattan Project before we get to Potsdam, so don't worry about it. It'll probably be two years before we yeah. start talking about the conference that happened four months later. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. I have to ask you a quick question. Mm. When you listen to podcasts, mm. do you adjust the speed? No, but uh, Chrissy does. Yeah, she's, she, she's... Okay. I hear her walking around and... <laughs> I said, how do you, how do, you do listen? And she goes, I don't even notice anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I got an email the other day that someone said they did it for us. And I said, like, you know, we try to come across as extremely manly. And then here you are speeding up our voice, making us sound a little bit like Mickey Mouse. It, it's just mm. degrading. But I guess... Mm. I can see their point, mm. you know, mm. as much time as we spend on things. But uh, still, still, I, I just find that so odd because I've never done it before. But I think it's more common than what I believe. Yeah, I think it is. Now, I want to remind everybody the reason we're doing this is because the Yalta Conference is the start of the Cold War. You've signed up to listen to a Cold War podcast, motherfuckers. Don't blame me. I'm just I'm just telling the story. You don't want to hear the story. Fuck off. Go listen to something else. But seriously, this is where the Cold War started. And uh, if we Game skip... It was all about customer service. If Fuck off. If we skip over this, then... You know, I guarantee you, like, a couple of months down the track, you'd be going, what? 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 What's that all about? What happened? What did I miss? Like Chrissy watching a film. Who's that guy? He's the guy they just explained to you like 10 minutes ago. What? Really? What? <laughs> like we're watching Game of Thrones. What? Wait, who's he? Yeah. What What just happened? <laughs> what uh, side is he on? What, what? Yeah. So anyway, on the morning of February 9th, 1945, yep. the sort of last full day of the conference, the Americans presented a short document entitled... Declaration on Liberated Europe. Oh, before we jump into that, j just to let everybody know that up to this point, um, because of Churchill's tenacity, and the, I don't think there's any other word for it, his bulldogness, if you will, and along with uh, at, at times FDR's help and at other times Stalin's help, I mean, he's been able to get some things done, and we all know that he's the weakest player uh, who's at the board. He has gotten the uh, the pr uh, permission for the French to participate. He's gotten uh, Stalin to temporarily pull back on his demand for $10 billion in reparations, uh, and, and yet this thing has not unhinged Yalta. It is still going forward. The Yalta spirit is still relatively strong. The United Nations looks like it's going to go forward. And Churchill's looking like he's in a pretty good position thus far up until this morning for when he heads back home for his post-war elections. Um, and as far as Poland, uh, you know, they're not getting any, anywhere with Stalin, but they do have to continue to work with him to even have a chance to have any say in Poland. So they, they recognize this. But so far, Stalin, excuse me, <clears throat> so far, Churchill has been able to do some pretty good things until the morning of February 9th comes along. All right, back to the first yeah, day right. of the Alton Conference. Where was I at? Oh, let's <laughs> just start again. Shut up. The Declaration on Liberated Europe, document the Americans presented, very short document, quickly discussed mm -hmm. and approved. It, 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 it received very little attention during the conference, right. but would go on to become one of the major documents of the Cold War. Now, it laid out yeah. how the... Yep, sorry. What? 
I just wanted to add on to that uh, about that, what you just said. Uh, Henry Kissinger would later write that when it was decided to organize resistance to Soviet expansionism, America did so on the basis of Stalin's failure to keep his word as given at Yalta and as the American leaders and public had understood it. So like you like you just said, uh, this just was given short shrift. They say, talked about it. They signed it. But it will become the basis because it seems that Stalin is going to go back on so much based on this one document <laughs> the, you should go into politics Ray really you, you have a knack for saying a little without really saying saying a lot without saying anything like it's thank uh, you you should you should really run for congress or senate or something stop it you're embarrassing me stop it stop it yeah, oh, that document, yeah, there's a lot in that document that uh, was just that had a lot and it was a lot in it. And, uh, you know, as we'll see later on, there was a lot in it because uh, when they tried <laughs> to talk about it and they, Kissinger, I they thought quote, there was a lot. His yeah, Kissinger, even, you know, people tell me there was a lot in the document. And uh, I think, as you'll see, there was, it had a lot Kissing, in it. Kissinger, my ass. All right, so. It laid out how the big three were going to treat the countries that were liberated from the Nazis. Mm -hmm. Or another way to look at it is it was also hoping to, as far as the Americans were concerned, because it started out as an American document, they were trying to prevent the division of Europe into British and Soviet spheres of influence. Obviously, it's going to morph over time and become something else, but that's how it started out. Just trying for the Americans to be realistic about what might happen in Europe with these two, um, you know, land-hungry powers after the war. And it was all about, yeah, yeah, self-determination of the people, yeah, yeah, free and fair elections, yeah, yeah, all that usual sort of stuff that the Americans loved. And, and just to remind everyone, the reason America loved that in this particular instance is, yeah, they didn't want these countries to end up in the economic zone of the Soviets or the economic zone of the British bloc. They wanted the ability to trade freely in these countries because that was the point right. of the whole thing. Um, now, at the time the document was signed, Britain and the Soviets were both openly violating it <laughs> in two of the countries that were liberated from the Nazis, Greece and Poland. And um, we've talked a little bit about the situation in Greece before, but I want to talk about it a little more in this episode. Now, FDR was the guy who put the document together, uh, but mm -hmm. he wasn't prepared to back it up with US troops. As we've seen in previous episodes, he had told the other guys, yeah, once this thing is over, man, we're taking our bat and our ball and our, we're going home. Like, it's been fun, y'all, but... Um, you know we don't we we're not keeping troops here because uh, you know America doesn't do that, Ray. America doesn't no. just keep troops in countries, uh, except for the troops that they still have in in Germany, of course, and the troops that they still have in Japan, of course, and and the troops that they still have in eight hundred bases around the world. But apart from that, America doesn't just keep troops right. in other parts of the world. 
Right, but at the time, the oh. goal was the America that uh, we all know and love. At the time, was it, it liked to make an appearance, show, so it showed up late at parties, like it did during World <laughs> War II, and had every intention of getting the fuck out, mm-hmm. but obviously coming back and raping everybody economically. But as we're <laughs> going to see, because of Yalta and what comes after that, that is not how it plays out. But I do believe that FDR was sincere as he could be, wanting to get his troops back home because obviously the American people wanted their sons and fathers and uncles and brothers back home with them. Yeah, that's true. I I believe you're right. I believe he was sincere. And just because politically that was kind of the promise. We're going to finish this war. We're going to bring our boys back home. That's right. Hey, a follow-up question. If you and I discuss something and we agree on it, Mm. and we sign it, Mm. but one of us is currently going against that treaty, Mm. Have we haven't broken anything because we just started promising Mm. from here on out to adhere to it. Yes. Well, yes, that's true, and it it kind of suggests that the party that signed that is in violation needs to address that violation or redress that violation and, um, you know, get the fuck... I'm sure that's going to happen. Stop violating. Um, it's like if, if I'm currently raping your wife and I sign an agreement that I won't rape your wife, but I'm in the middle of raping your wife when I sign it. How, how do you sign? What, with what instrument do you use to sign? Uh, my hand, a pen. It's fine. I mean, my hands okay. are free. All right. Um, so you can she's, write. And she's, tied up and, she's tied up and gagged, of course, so she can't fight back. <laughs> uh... You too? I have to stop. Anyway. I have to stop raping her at some point in the future. That's basically the way these agreements work. I so, hope there is a guy. He's coming after you. America. Not America. I thought, Britain, I thought I had it on mute. I'm Brit- sorry. Britain was currently raping Greece, and <laughs> they were going to have no, to. No, just, just the communists. Well, yeah. So, anyway... Um, FDR said, yeah, we, 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 we're not going to, you know, throw any troops at this. So I just, everyone just promise, you know, dib, 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 dob, dob, yeah. dob, Boy Scout promise that you will, uh, ab- uh, you know, abide by the declaration. Right. Now, there was a bit of propaganda, really, about the democratic commitment of the Grand Alliance. Uh, it was part of his attempt to mobilize support for the United Nations back home. Uh, Now, remember that America didn't get involved in the League of Nations, even though Woody Woody Wilson uh, proposed the League of Nations after World War I. Uh, He couldn't couldn't get America to commit. And uh, there was still a lot of question at this particular point in time as to whether or not FDR would be able to get the Americans to commit to joining the United Nations. So he's trying to uh, assure everyone back home that his partners in the Grand Alliance are committed to a free and fair Fox News coverage of democratic elections. Fair and balanced is the way he said they were going to run Europe. Now, funnily enough, this Declaration on Liberated Units started life as just the preamble to another document the U.S. State Department had created that was calling for the creation of a European Commission to be run Mm -hmm. by the Big Three and maybe France, if they're fucking lucky, which would sort of ensure free elections uh, across Europe. 
But Frank squashed the idea of the European Commission. Now, why do you think he would have been against the European Commission, Ray? Well, I'm just, you know, he wants to, like you said, he wants to have as much influence in Europe as he can. Yes, he's going to get his troops out of there. But if he can get these guys to tie their own hands by signing this agreement and he can get rid of the European Commission, then the United States which doesn't really want to have to back that up with military force, can have a lot of influence. FDR doesn't trust the Europeans. He certainly doesn't trust any kind of organization. If it's just a European commission, then his men obviously won't be a part of it. He just doesn't trust that. He wants everything to be nice and vague so he can work, because that's pretty much how FDR operated in a lot of ways. He wants he wants to have everything kind of nice and vague and have more understandings than than uh, airtight laws so he can work his magic afterwards. But for right now, get everybody to commit to it, get them locked in, and then go from there. Anyway, so yeah, he can do magic. Well, I think there's a little bit more about the uh, Frank's desire to kill this idea of a European Commission. Because if you've got three, if you've got the big three and maybe the big four, yeah. running, running Europe in perpetuity... Uh, it makes it a lot harder for America to come in and take over Europe economically, right. because you got to have it's it's going to be like Yalta all over again. You're going to be negotiating constantly on making sure that everyone's happy, that the Soviets get mm. their bit, that the Brits get their bit, that the French get their bit, French. and no one and and uh, Frank doesn't want that. He's just like, well, let's just say uh, we're going to just stay the fuck out, and then we can move the fuck in. I don't know that he had a plan for that necessarily. I'm not sure like the Marshall Plan was really conceived at this point in a lot of detail. There probably was some discussion about, well, this this place is going to be economically fucked. Someone's going to have to solve it. And we're the only ones with any money left. So maybe we'll have to solve it. And maybe we can figure out a way to do that that's to our benefit. But... I think that was the point is we don't want a European Commission. We don't want we don't want oversight. We don't want a committee overseeing what happens in Europe. Because that's right. just going to be too hard for us to get what we want. So let's just. So he killed that idea, even though the State Department pushed it forward. But he liked the preamble because it sounded nice. So he said, "We'll keep that bit. <laughs> we'll keep the preamble because that's pretty. That's that's nice. I like that. Yeah. It's very nice yeah. what you've done there. I like that. Free and fair elections, fair and balanced. Yes, I like it." But how are we going to monitor that? No, fuck that. Don't, don't, don't worry about that bit. But we're just going to we just say we all yeah. agree that it's a good idea. Yeah. Because this thing is going to change forms several times. Um, and each time it does, it just gets watered down all that much more. And so by the end, they're all signing something, but it is not nearly as, um, as stringent as it was when it first started out. But that's sometimes that's the only time uh, kind of document you can get through you know, three different sig- signature signatories. So maybe it had to happen if they really wanted to, to get something signed. And a document calling for free and fair elections. Who do you think is going to have the biggest problem with that? By instincts? No, no. The textbooks tell me Stalin, but I'm guessing to go against that and it's going to be one of the other two. Yeah. Oh, you would go. Yes, it was Premier Churchill, yes. Churchill <laughs> was not happy with this document at all. <laughs> I don't like this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> what do you mean? Um, um, free and fair elections? 
Apparently, Frank said that the decoration de- 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 <laughs> would apply to any areas or countries where needed, as well one? as to Poland. Mm. Churchill was like, I'm sorry, you don't mean this could apply to Greece? Yeah. I haven't done Churchill for a month. I mean, it feels good to get back into Churchill's skin. I like it. Yes. Never before in the field of human conflict has so much been owed by so many to my penis. Um, he, uh, he was worried that it would apply to Greece, uh, of course, and right. he was like, well, no, no, look, it applies to everyone else, but not me, not me. Meh, meh. Um... <laughs> So as you might, but it does have a part that, like you, I think you said this earlier, but there, there's a part that references the Atlantic Charter. Obviously, he was the co-author of that, so right away he thinks it, it's a gun pointed at him and his, you know, his country's lifestyle. He has to do something about that. When you say co-author, like Frank wrote it and held a gun, he's a bit like Luca Brasi. <laughs> he had Luca Brasi hold a gun to Churchill's head and tell him that either his signature or his brains would be on the document, like by the end well, of the deal, right? Little little known historical fact: When Churchill signed that, he purposefully misspelled his name, so legally, technically, he is not bound by its terms. That's not true. Well, when Johnny was first starting out, he was signed to this personal service contract with a big band leader. And as his career got better and better, he wanted to get out of it. Now, Johnny is my father's godson. And my father went to see this band. And they offered him $10,000 to let Johnny go. But the band leader said no. So the next day, my father went to see him, only this time with Luca Brazzi. And within an hour, he signed a release for a certified check of $1,000. How'd he do that? My father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. What was that? Luca Brazzi held a gun to his head, and my father assured him that either his brains or his signature would be on the contract. That's my family, kid. It's not me. Yeah, that's not you, Michael. <laughs> he just sounds like a good businessman to me, that's all. That's all I hear. You know, I mean, I'm sure you know, I'm sure everyone knows, but we're, like when they were shooting The Godfather and they cast, uh, and Coppola cast Al Pacino, um, and for the kids out there who don't know, Al Pacino was a complete unknown. He'd made a couple of small films, but he's a complete unknown. Studio wanted a big uh, superstar. They wanted Robert Redford to play mm. uh, 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 Michael Corleone mm. and, and, and Coppola yeah. cast Pacino. And um, that scene, the wedding scene, was the first uh, thing that he shot. And really? um, when the studio saw the dailies, the rushes, they were like, no, you got to fire this kid. He's hope- look, You look at that scene, he underplays it so much. He, right. he you know, he, 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 he's speaking sort of in this soft monotone. There's no emotion. Now, and Pacino, of course, knew what he was doing. He knew that he was going to start, the, the character was going to start off as this quiet, shy, yeah. reserved uh, guy, and by the end of it was going to be the you know complete fucking badass, and that you would see the progression. But the studio, you know, the, Robert Evans, those guys didn't get it, and they're like, "Fire!" Anyway, you go back and you watch it now. Like, just 
Yeah, when 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 you know Pacino in the 21st century is hoo-ha, yeah, I don't know, I everything's like this. I got, he can't go to the bathroom. Well, I'm talking like dust. Hold it in. Yeah. Uh, you, you go back and you watch Pacino in his younger days, man. It's just like the master of understatement he was. Anyway, right. Where do nice. we? How do we get to that? Oh yeah, the Atlantic Charter. <laughs> Luca yeah. Brasi and the Atlantic Charter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> yes, Churchill was worried uh, that it would apply to Greece. Now, as you may remember, the, the British had been actively supporting the King of Greece against communist rebels after the Nazis had been kicked out of the country. Now, Molotov mm-hmm. suggested an amendment that said support will be given to the political leaders of those countries who have taken an active part in the struggle against the German invaders. Which that sounds fair. Yeah, which would allow, of course, Moscow to legitimise its support for communists in any country under its control, like, for example, the Lublin Poles. Right. And that would have included Greece, but uh, Churchy got all defensive. Sorry, you want to say something? Yeah. No, I just want to say that there's a, the moment right before that where Eden says um, he wants to add a proposal saying France should be added as a signatory. And there's some going back and forth. And Stalin finally, you know, Stalin pretty much lays it on the line and he goes, three are better than four. And um, it, I, I don't know where that accent came from. But Eden's like, I don't understand. So Stalin gets up, walks over to him and just really quickly kicks him in the nuts three times. And he goes, would you like a fourth? Mm. No. See, three. Mm are better than four. You've got to hand it to Stalin. But, he knew how to make a point. <laughs> With those big Russian boots on. But yeah, so, so, so right away, the British are still trying to bring France in. Stalin is cutting them out. Now, let me ask you this real quick. I, I, you're about to go on, but Stalin has been pushing from day one. If you did not help get rid of the Germans, you should have no say-so. I'm wondering how much of that he sincerely believes versus it's just politically uh, advantageous for him to say that because obviously Russia did more than anybody else. I just really wonder, is it just a a platitude for him just because he he benefits from it? Oh, I think it's a bit of both. I think he wants to keep the numbers at the table as low as possible because every... uh everyone else that's at the table is someone else that he needs to fight against. You know, France is obviously uh, a capitalist country at this stage. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they've um, going to be, they're going to, they, they, they have an alliance with, with England. They're probably going right. to vote uh, however England wants them to vote. Um, you know, we know that that's certainly the way the British, this is why Churchill is fighting to get France a seat at the table. Stalin knows that as well as the Brits know that. So um, I think his rationale on the surface, if they didn't help, they don't get a say is, is fine and makes sense. Hard to argue with. The others couldn't really argue That's with it. True. But the flip side is, true. yeah, he just wants to keep his keep the numbers down as low as possible so he has as much control as possible. The more people you add, the more yeah. fucking fighting, negotiating, the, the more votes they have. So, yeah, I think it works on multiple levels. Anyway, let's not get let's yeah. not get bogged down in France in or out. We've talked about that until the cows come home. Um, let's let's talk about Greece and uh, this whole deal here. So Molotov says, you know, let's let's give support to anyone who's helped. Um, now Churchill gets all defensive here and says he wants to include in the minutes of the meeting a copy of his interpretation 
of the Atlantic Charter, the one that he provided to Parliament back when they signed it in 1941. And, you know, the the short version, I've got the short version here of his interpretation is, yeah, that doesn't apply to us. Um, That was his short version. yeah. Why do you need an interpretation of something you signed? Self self determination for all peoples, <laughs> unless they're part of the British Empire, then you know, obviously, fuck them. But everyone else, everyone else's right. empires, it applies to just uh, not us, because we're good guys. You know, we we only yeah. uh, invade and uh, occupy uh, the people who who love being invaded and occupied, <laughs> and they benefit so much from it. They We're going to go into that later, but that is yeah. always pissed Look, anyway. you go you go and ask anyone we've invaded and occupied for the last <laughs> hundred years, and if they love us. Just go and ask yeah. them, you know. No, the fact that we have a massive army there doesn't matter. The fact that we, we kill everyone who disagrees with us doesn't matter. Just go and... Yeah. No, that's, that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Just go, go ask. Yeah, just anyway. go. So Stalin speaks up. He says... <clears throat> uh, shit, what's my Stalin voice? Vodka. The Prime Minister need have no anxiety that Mr. Molotov's amendment was designed to apply to Greece. Ooh. You know, Marx. Like, boom, just throw it out there. And he don't, like, it, it's like Voldemort. You're not supposed to mention Greece at the you table. You say the name. Yeah. He, he who must not be named. Star, I love this. Stalin just, he's like, he's just fucking with Churchill so much. He just throws it on the table. Oh, don't worry. We didn't, we didn't mean you, my friend. When we said there's some fat uh, people who look like Winnie the Pooh around the table, we're not talking about you. Don't worry. No, 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 Don't no, take no. it personally, my friend. <laughs> Shut to your face, sir. Um, Churchill shot back that he wasn't worried. He just yeah. merely desired that everybody should have a fair chance and do his duty. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm not that? worried. Uh, I, I look nervous. I sound nervous. I make you nervous, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not uncomfortable at this moment. I, I always sweat like this. I'm a fat man. <laughs> fat men sweat. Um, I glisten. <laughs> Now, he said the British didn't want a joint allied military command in Greece, but welcomed (laughs) observers. You can come and look and watch how we're fucking killing the communists. Just uh, stay out of the the way. Right, right. right. And he promised the British would leave the country when peace had been established. Aww. Which basically means when when we've killed everybody who disagrees (laughs) with us, and, you know, weaponized the king's military, right. of course we'll leave. I think that was King Peter II. Yeah, once we kill all the communists and the monarchy's back in charge, and let's face it, it's easier to deal with one king than several communists, we will leave because by then we will, our troops will not be needed. So, yeah, very tongue-in-cheek there, and, and obviously they've done it before for, for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> Stalin, though, ends the discussion by saying he had complete confidence in the British policy in Greece. <laughs> I have complete confidence, my friend. You don't worry. Yeah. I trust you. You trust me. I look the other way. You look the other way. <laughs> so he fucks with him, and then he ends the conversation, but yeah. at the same time reminding him of our wink-wink deal. Yeah, the old percentages deal. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. So he's saying, look, 
I, I, I'll look the other way with Greece. You, and obviously you will look the other way with Poland and Romania and anywhere else that I, I want to do whatever the fuck I want to do. Now, <clears throat> this is important, and this is why we're, we're going to the trouble of talking about this again, kids, is because, as you will see in future episodes, the whole treatment of Poland thing blows up very, very fucking quickly. Within weeks of Yalta, it blows up massively and becomes a big shitstorm. But here we have the basis of the deal. We've, you know, we've talked about Poland and, and you know, they've left it sort of wishy-washy a little bit about how they're going to form a new government there. The Brits and the Yanks were pushing for, you're going you're gonna to integrate the London Poles into the government. And they were like, listen, we will expand the government in some way. It'll all be fine. Don't worry about it, my Don't friends. Have, have more beluga caviar and vodka. It's all good. But yeah. here is Stalin is... is Literally, in, in, in the last plenary session, really, of the Alta Conference, he's saying, listen, um, I will turn a blind eye to Greece. Wink, wink. You know? Uh, and they all went with it. Churchill was like, yeah. whew, I dodged that fucking bullet. Let's move on. <laughs> and then, but they'll come back and they'll bitch about Stalin's treatment of Poland later on. But right. just rem- I, want, I want everyone to remember that this is, you know, they kind of gave it tacit approval during the this last plenary session. And even more than that, they knew they, the two Western leaders didn't even have a choice. So they're going to mm. give tested approval, but they know in their heart of hearts they have they have no choice. I'm looking at a map real quick of uh, what Russia occupied in Eastern Europe, and I'm going to put it on the Facebook page. But, I mean, you've got Belarusia, you've got Poland, you've got Czechoslovakia, Hungary, uh, Yugoslavia, Romania, Bulgaria, and Albania. I mean, they pretty much control all of the Balkans except for Greece. And so Churchill has every right to be nervous, but at the same time, this is a done deal. Poland is, you know, squ- right in the middle of this. Stalin owns it, he controls it, and he knows it, but he's still going to mess with uh, Churchill every once in a while. Every time Churchill brings up Poland, he's going to bring up Greece, and, you know, just that tit-for-tat is going to keep Churchill, in, hopefully, in his place. Mm. So, uh, just remember that uh, when they bitch later on uh, about you know the spirit because you'll one of the things you'll hear a lot is Stalin obeyed the letter of the agreement but not the spirit of Yalta <laughs> the spirit of Yalta becomes a big thing the spirit of Yalta yes. but th- to me this is the spirit of Yalta I'll look I'll turn a blind eye if you turn a blind eye that was the spirit yeah. of Yalta <laughs> and let's just try and and let's all try and get along I, I think that's really the spirit right. of Yalta I'll, let's all try and get along but turn blind eyes where we need to let's put out fluffy-sounding statements about (laughs) fair and balanced. But really, let's just turn a blind eye when we need to. Now, just to recap and and to update folks with some of the stuff that's happened in Greece, um, the the Nazis and the Italians have been chased out of Greece. When the British troops landed in there, they launched a war against the Greek communists, the EAM and the ELAS, who were trying Mm -hmm. to overthrow the monarchy. Now, the Greek communists had played a very significant role in kicking the Nazis and the uh, Italians out. I think they had like 50,000 troops, the communists, in Greece. They're very, very well-organized resistance. Um, And you would think that uh, 
if if they played such a big role in 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 kicking the Nazis and the Italians out, they should have a say on the future direction of the country. But no. Um, no. They did do a deal in the early months after the liberation of Greece. They did a deal with the the British and the the king uh, to see how it went. It didn't go well. They arced up a couple of months later and said, "No, no, no, no. We don't like where this yeah. is going." The British came in and with the support of the, and supported the Greeks to crush the uh, the communists who were trying to uh, you know replace the monarchy and the right wing government right. with more of a left wing government. Yeah. Now Churchill was actually trying to be a little bit clever because he knows he's going against Stalin. In May of 1944, they signed the Eden Gusev deal, uh, which you know gave Britain a certain amount of freedom uh, in Greece. Obviously, it tried to help get rid of the uh, Germans and the, and the Italians, but as you said, they were uh, they were on their way out. But this is the good part for me. In October of 44, while Churchill and Eden are in Moscow talking to Stalin and Molotov, British paratroopers come down. They enter in Athens, and they're trying to make this deal permanent. And as you said, they're going to end up bringing large guns, bombers, and tanks in here to get rid of the Greek pro-communist forces that are trying to get rid of the king and set up a, a certainly more representative government. But as we're going to see, the British have to control the Mediterranean. It is an economic lifeline for them. Greece is just a very important part of that. So Greece cannot at any cost be lost to anyone who doesn't get along with the British because they have to, before the war, Mediter the Mediterranean was a British pond. It has to stay that way afterwards for economic reasons. And so they will, they will not, there's, there's no gesture too far that they won't go to secure Greece because it's a matter of economic life and death for them. Yeah, exactly. So this free and fair and democracy bullshit is good for the, good for the folks where, we don't have economic interests. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got economic interests. Uh, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. A bit. Yeah. A now, bit. in December just 1944, just a couple of months before Yalta, Churchill telegraphed the British military commander in Athens, General Ronald Scobie. Good name. Uh, Scobie Doo, they referred to him <laughs> as. Scobie Doo. <laughs> Yoinks! Whoa. Now you got to do Churchill doing scope. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Churchill sent him a telegraph saying, Do not, however, hesitate to act as if you were in a conquered city with a local rebellion in progress. We have to hold and dominate Athens. It would be a great thing for you to succeed in this without bloodshed if possible, but also with bloodshed if necessary. Damn. Damn. In other words, translated, don't, don't, don't worry if you have to, you know, shoot some fuckers. It's all right, man. Um, Churchill later admitted that when he composed this, he had in mind the telegram sent to British authorities in the 1880s by the Chief Secretary for Ireland the legendary Arthur James Balfour, known for the Balfour Declaration about Palestine. The telegram included the words famously, don't hesitate to shoot. Fuck. So Churchill was like, oh, 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 oh yes, that's quite funny. I like that. Don't hesitate to kill some fuckers if you have to. It's fine with me. 
how was that your excuse? Look, when I wrote you, <laughs> funny story, I was thinking about the 1880s when another guy told another guy to go ahead and fucking wipe him out if you have to. I mean, how is that your justification that I was thinking of a much bloodier time when I wrote this? So don't blame me. Blame the thoughts in my head or the examples from generations past. Yeah, so, it's an homage, dude. Like, uh, you know, like Tarantino <laughs> makes... Movies that are an homage to westerns or Hong Kong action right. films. I was just an homage to Balfour. Come on, I didn't yeah. expect you to take it seriously when I said go and shoot some Jeez. fucking people. Um, and, and a lot of people end up dying. And, and we're, obviously, we can't go into it, but a lot of people, a lot of innocent people, and people oh, who are fighting against the British. Oh, we are? Oh, okay. Oh, we're going A lot into of it. people are fucking killed. Okay, please go into it. So on December 3rd, 1944, the Greek police, with support from the British, opened fire on a group of 200,000 peaceful protesters outside Greek parliament in Athens. Uh, 28 civilians, mostly young boys and girls, were killed. Hundreds were injured. Two days later, Scobie, uh, Scooby-Doo, imposed martial law and mm -hmm. the following day ordered the aerial bombing of the working-class districts of Athens. Damn. A British, yeah. British yeah. Uh, and Greek government forces used British tanks, aircraft, and army to burn and bomb houses and streets to crush the protests. Jeez. Um, so first... Mm. No, just, just... I mean, these Greek people, for anybody who's listened to that part of my World War II podcast, you have an idea of what the people went through when the Germ the first the Italians, then the Germans came in after years, they're being pushed out, and now the fucking British are doing the same thing for for the same reason they just have a different uniform on. Exactly. Damn. Now again I want people to remember this when, when we get to criticism of the Soviets and Poland, this is what the British were doing. During the fucking Yalta conference, this was going on in Greece, the the crushing of the communist forces. Um, so the hypocrisy here is mind blowing. Um, mm -hmm. Now, funny thing is, well, it's not funny, but um, according to one Greek eyewitness, the British even set up sniper nests on top of the Acropolis. Oh, bad form. And he wrote, this eyewitness, or he said in an interview I read, not even the Germans did that. They were firing down on EAM targets. This is the British. But we didn't fire back because we didn't want to harm the monument. Ah, smart. <laughs> smart. Are smart. No, evil. the Brits. Yeah, I know. Well, yes, yeah. smart yeah, and yeah. evil. Um, yeah. But it seems, according to some of the diaries that have survived, that the British soldiers, at least some of them, and officers, didn't even seem to know who they were fighting. Yeah. There are surviving diaries and letters from British soldiers and officers who were in Athens who seem to have believed they were still fighting Nazis or Nazi-backed forces. Um, they will say, oh, yes, uh, we're killing the Hun. Um, they didn't even know they were fighting right. Greek communists. Um, so there you go. Yeah. Now, now, I'm sorry, I was just going to add to that. So a lot of this, a lot of this fighting intensifies in December 44. On January 6th, uh, the British ambassador to the United States, 
uh, to Lord Halifax, told his government that the U.S. president said, look, we appreciate what you're doing in Greece. We know you're trying to quell the, the communists. Forget freedom for a second. But, um, but you're not doing a very good job of bringing the American opinion along with you. And as America has taken over as, as the power in the world, you know, Britain has to consider that. But again, um, the, the, the American government understands what's going on, but the American people don't like it because, rightly so, it seems a bit over the top and it seems a bit cruel for these people who are just trying to fight to have some kind of say in their government. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the, the British actions in Greece were roundly condemned by the press in America mm-hmm. and England at the time. Uh, but they didn't really give a shit. Um, and you know, the one country where they weren't condemned was Russia. (laughs) British are killing communists in Greece. The Russian press, Pravda mostly, uh, doesn't make a big deal out of it. Why? Wow. You would think they'd be up in arms about communists getting killed. But Stalin was abiding by... The percentages agreement. Okay. He's a man of his word. T- yeah, Stalin, a man of his word. That's how he should be remembered. <laughs> he is like, well, I said I, would, I said I would turn blind eye, so blind yeah. eye I must turn now, and uh, I'm sure it'll all work out okay in the end. <laughs> and now, I'm, sure, I'm sure Churchill <laughs> will give me full credit for turning blind eye. I get a big hug. When we meet again, I get a big hug. No, but Scobie's, uh, Churchill's order to Scobie was re- re- leaked to the press, which obviously added a lot of fuel to the fire. Now we know better. Churchill could have just simply turned to the cameras and yelled, fake news, but he didn't. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, he so, so public support was zero. But like you said, it did matter. Britain has to control Greece for, for economic survival. Now, this whole event in Greece is known as the Decembriana, the December events, um, and the uprising, or the crushing of the uprising, really, happened Mm -hmm. uh, just a few days after Yalta. Uh, Thousands had been killed, and then after the uprising, or the protests, or whatever you want to call it, had been crushed... The Greek army, again with the support of the British, went around and rounded up 12,000 communists and threw them in concentration camps. Jeez. Uh, A truce was signed on the 12th of February, two days after Yalta concluded. Right. And that, though, began another chapter in Greek history known as the White Terror, where anyone of being associated with the communists was sent to concentration camps. That reminds me of uh, during the Yalta conference um, when the Greek crisis um, was, you know, not flaring up at that particular moment. Stalin asked Churchill to describe the situation in Greece. And Churchill was pretty honest about it. He goes, look, I don't want to ruin your appetite before dinner. I don't think you would like what I have to say. But Stalin's like, no, no, come, you know, come tell me. So, um, so um, Churchill, to the best of his ability, gives him a, a rosy picture of what's going on. But again, this is just uh, Stalin just reminding him, you know, over and over and over again of our deal. He's just going to keep bringing it up to humiliate Churchill, but also to remind him to stay the hell out of Poland because that's the deal we have. Yeah. Um, so the White Terror uh, in itself led to the Greek Civil War, which started a year later in 1946. 
But of course, this isn't how Churchill presented it to the public. He got up in the House of Commons on January 18th, 1945. So in the middle of the Decembriana. And he said, <clears throat> It has fallen to the hard lot of Britain to play a leading part in the Mediterranean. We have great responsibilities and we have made great exertions there. We have one principle about liberated countries or repentant satellite countries which we strive for according to the best of our ability and resources. Here is the principle. I will state it in the broadest and most familiar terms. Government of the people, by the people, and for the people, set up on the basis of free universal suffrage, elections with secrecy of ballot and no intimidation. That is, and that has always been, the policy of this government in all countries. Somebody said, uh, hold on, one of the Aboriginals in Australia have a vote. Shut up. Shut the fuck up, you motherfucker. <laughs> he had one hand behind his back and his fingers crossed, so it's okay. What about the Indians? Shut up. Have that man arrested now. He goes on. Send him to India. Yeah. It is not only our aim and in our interest. It is our only care. It is to that goal that we try to make our way across all difficulties. Obstacles and perils of the long road. Trust the people. Make sure they have a fair chance to decide their destiny without being terrorized from either quarter or regimented. There is our policy for Italy, for Yugoslavia, and for Greece. No other interest have we than that. For that we shall strive, and for that alone. <laughs> How does that register on the bullshit meter? Oh, I think that's uh, off the charts on the bullshit meter. Um, no intimidation. Then why are you <laughs> shooting people and putting them in concentration camps? Well, I'm, I'm, I've been shot at. I didn't find it intimidating at all. I don't know what you're talking about. It's just good, now, good old British fun. Let, let, me, let me try to defend Churchill. Let me try to get inside his head. If the communists take over, then it's going to be like Russia. You're going to have some commissars running everything. No, this is falling apart really quickly. So, okay, we know he doesn't like the communists, but he's replacing them with a hard right monarchy, which is more in their interest. It's just, just this whole thing about no intimidation, freedom is bullshit. Complete and utter right. trash. But... right. You know, that's the lesson, I guess, out of all of this is don't believe what they tell you, believe what they do. Don't don't listen to the words, look at what they do. There's always the propaganda level you need to look beyond and, and actually analyze the behavior, not the, 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 the PR. And Churchill said more than once, we welcome observers, but from what I can find... I mean, there were there were press people from the press in there, but I don't think there were official American or whatever um, observers. So again, Churchill can say whatever he wants about Stalin, who flat out will not let anybody in. At least Churchill's, you know, he's he's uh, he's talking the talk. But again, it's it's the same result. People are dying. People are being suppressed, 
and it's it's for someone else's uh, betterment. So it, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I'm not suggesting that that democracy isn't high or wasn't high on the agenda of guys like Churchill and Roosevelt. I think they mm-hmm. did like democracy as long as it didn't get in the way of their own interests. In the case of Churchill, the interests of the empire. Right. I can see I, that. I think that's the thing to understand is they they do value democracy within reason. Democracy is great if it yeah. suits your interests. Where it doesn't suit your interests take the United States today and their relationship with Saudi Arabia, which we've talked about at length on our um, Bullshit Filter series. You know, Saudi Arabia is as far from a democracy as you can get. It's a family uh, monarchy that's been in place for a couple of hundred years, brutal to the extreme, great, great friends of America. Why? Because it suits their interests. And this is the the lesson um, that we all need to understand. Despite the rhetoric about mm-hmm. freedom and democracy that you get from politicians in the West. What they really care about is their interests, the, the economic and security interests of their country, exactly as Stalin was, and I'm sure Putin is today. Uh, this is what the leader of every country is concerned about. What are the security and economic interests? And uh, and all of the, 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 the nice-sounding statements that you need to make in your speeches uh, mean nothing. What what you really care about at the end of the day is your economic and security interests. Yes, everything else is bullshit. And and not that we have to end here, but just speaking of the Middle East, of Saudi Arabia in general, FDR is going to let them know that he has got to skedaddle because he's got to see a man about a, about a camel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frank said, oh, <clears throat> oh, listen, uh, this is this conversation about Greece is really interesting and everything, but but I uh, <clears throat> but I have to say, I have to go. I'm going. Bye. I'm I'm leaving tomorrow. And tomorrow, I'm rolling away. Rolling. I shall be gone. I shall be leaving on a jet plane tomorrow. And they <laughs> said, you mean a boat? Uh, oh yes, boat, plane, whatever. I'm getting the fuck out of here because, um, <laughs> well, I have things to do. You see. Ah, yes. And they were like, seriously, we're, we're not even close to finish uh, nailing all of this down. Well, I'm sorry, but I have to go. <laughs> I'm Audi. I'm Audi 3000. Um, and that's literally uh, what happened. He said, I'm going tomorrow. I've had enough and took them all by surprise. And they were like, seriously, <laughs> dude, like what is more important than this? Yeah, and he said, peace. "Well, lots of things, um, lots yeah. of things. I have, <laughs> I have to go. I have meetings. I have commitments." An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.
Kane. 